If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Hello, Rob. How are you today? Today, Russell, I am feeling temporary. Temporary? Because, yes, I have been thinking deeply about the idea of kind of transience and like how temporary all of our experiences, but also, the, the, you know, the, the way that we're born and then we live and then we die. And last night I was looking in Margate, which is a town obviously where Turner lived, the painter, and I was looking at a sunset and it was one of the most extraordinary sunsets I've seen all year. And I was actually at dinner of a friend of mine and we were all looking out the window and suddenly we just saw this like orange sun, kind of like pinky orange sun. And it was just so intense that we all got up from our dinner and literally ran across the road to stand by the sea and just look at this sunset for about 15 minutes. And for some reason, everyone was there going like, oh my God, you can see why Turner lived here. You can, you know, see his paintings. But for me, I was thinking about a completely different artist, an artist called Jesse Murray, who uh, was born in 1948 and died in 1993. And I was thinking very much about his paintings and because of tonight's episode. And I've been spending the week, you know, researching and reading and learning about this incredible artist's body of work and it got me thinking about this idea of legacy and the actions that we take in our lifetime and even like small acts of kindness and how sometimes they can actually go on to you know shape the future and the impact it can have like I, I, you know even on a small way like just our podcast I think like documenting all these voices and all these all these different artists you know when we're gone hopefully that might live on somehow and inspire people going forwards mm. and it's quite an interesting episode t- today because the artist Jesse Murray's actually passed away so he won't be able to speak to us directly but luckily we are going to be speaking with one of his very close friends another artist who we've had on the show previously who you and I are both massive fans of obsessed and an amazing curator and artist uh, Jarrett uh, as well uh, they've both just curated this extraordinary exhibition which we'll explore very soon so uh, we would like to welcome to talk art Lisa, Lisa Yaskavich and, and Jarrett Ernest. Hi. Hello. How you guys Thanks. doing? Where do we find you? We are at David's Warner Gallery in New York City on 19th Street. Mm-hmm. The beautiful sounds of road work just wafting in from the windows. <laughs> Somebody's drilling. Somebody's always drilling. Oh, the glamour. But um, we have just finished hanging the paintings And what a good timing. We were supposed to uh, record with you last week, but uh, a hurricane 
threw us off our trail. But in a weird way, this is kind of magical because Jared and I are together here in the gallery and we are just blown away by having actually put it on the wall. And it looks actually, when Jared said, is this as good as you thought it was going to be? And I said, actually, it does. It, it, when I saw, we laid it out at the beginning of the summer and, you know, unpacked it um, 30 years ago. I actually um, packed the paintings and helped his partner, George Chantani, put them in storage. When it was, I was 30 years old and I'm 59 and, you know, it's like going on 60 years old now. And um, the thing about this show and this entire, you know, whirlwind time of doing this show with Jarrett, the thing that really um, has impacted me the most is, seeing the work, doing this incredible, like literally unpacking the work literally yeah. and on every level recognizing what was lost and the opportunity of what this man could have done. Mm. It, 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 it cut open. I didn't just cut open the packages of art. It cut me open to realize that AIDS stole something that could have been not only Jesse, but so many, so many people. Right. And, you know, I, I will go so far as to say, I was told by a doctor friend that apparently it's controversial to say something about the fact that, you know, the, the community of gay men were such an extraordinary community. And this is took, took, took such a, you know, apparently, you know, it, it, it leaves out all of the people who died of AIDS who were not, you know, of that community, but fuck it. I'm an artist. I can say whatever I want because I'm not a doctor. And I, that's what I said to him. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I don't owe anything to the scientific community. I, I, it is, it, I only speak in, you know, I'm, I'm, I speak from having been in the killing fields in the hospital and watching people die who were like dancers and um, people who could have, should have been carrying on to this day. And, you know, this is, this, this show it's just a sneak peek at what Jesse was and what he could have been. And it just, um, gre- uh, uh, the show is just basically hurts. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm starting on a bad note. No, no, it's, it's a perfect note. No, but it's just to let everyone listen in, this, this uh, Jesse's show forms part of a series of curated solo exhibitions with Werner Gallery. This one is at West 19th Street in New York. Uh, it's called More Life, which comes from uh, Angels in America, the Tony Kushner play, which is one of the lines that Pryor says at the end. Robert Goff, who is a senior director, good friend of Talkar, good friend of ours, uh, conceived this, came up with this idea, and it's for the artists who were affected at the beginning of the ongoing AIDS crisis and died, and they were then like, overlooked and neglected because of the times. And this series is about bringing their voices out, what should have been, as what you were saying, Lisa, what could have been, what should have been, what is now happening, what is now being conceived and realised is these voices that were overlooked, how important they are as part of the art canon, as part of art history and as part of the ongoing discussion of representation. There's artists in this show. We have Derek Jarman, Mark Morris Rowe, uh, The Silence Equals Death Collective, uh, Ching Ho Cheng. But yes, we have Jesse Murray's show. And Jesse Murray, uh, this show you have titled Rising, which is from uh, one of his paintings, 
which you have in this exhibition. But why did you choose, let's go right back to the beginning of this then, why did you choose the title Rising and how did this show come to you through Zverna? How was this a decision to, this was the right time to do this show for you guys? Well, you know, I've been, to take a line, Jesse's favorite um, artist in, in, in many ways was Turner. Um, I met Jesse uh, during my interview, intake interview at Yale School of Art. Um, we were both being interviewed and we, I was brought to Yale um, by my parents. So I was in a very different place than him. He was already doing amazing things in life in New York. And, you know, and, and, and so um, he, he was kind of well, he had written a lot. And anyway, his favorite poet, Wallace Stevens said um, something about, you know, beating a tin drum. So I'll sort of take a, a line. And he taught me a lot about poetry at the time that I knew him since that interview. Um, so I'm beating a tin drum here and sort of saying, um, you know, Jesse, when he died, I remember thinking, this kind of, I, ha, I actually had just opened my first so, sort of, in what I think of as my first solo show, which was a, in 1993 in January. It was four days after my opening, something like that. And Jesse actually, of course, couldn't come to my opening because he was hospitalized. And he said, he made, I remember he called me and he said, like, he was making jokes about, like, who was at the opening. He wanted to know all the dirt about who was at the opening and then, of course, he just took a turn for the worse when he died because um, he was kind of always right on the edge. But um, now I've lost my thread here. <laughs> but he he um, when he died, I remember thinking, where does it all go? All of that man, all of that information that he carried with him, the weight mm-hmm. of his knowledge. He was truly I, I, I he was truly uh truly erudite um i just couldn't believe that a person could just evaporate with all of that having spent a lifetime i mean there's there's a, a poem he writes where, where he talks about spending a lifetime and you know and then it just like it is truly how i felt it was like i remember i just walked around i i after my opening and i started getting for well, the first time first time in my life you know i was 30 and i was like getting reviews and I was so happy, like an art in America, an art forum, and very wonderful things were happening for me. And I, um, this was a show of bad baby paintings, like my first real kind of emergence as an artist. And I just was balanced against the loss of my best friend. Mm. And I just kind of stayed in bed for that period of time. And I just felt like, where does it all go? You know, I just, I was just like wondering. And so... I just decided that I would never stop talking about him. Mm. And I, you know, there's a thing they say, that which is forgotten dies. Right. Mm. And so I just never stopped talking about him. And then before he died, he's one time said to me um, that I had looked out a window and he said, you know, you were looking out a window and I saw you see your future, Lisa, and your future is so bright and so beautiful. And I remember thinking what a beautiful thing to say to a person. He knew he was dying, but he was the kind of person that was able to um, give me hope 
even though, you know, I didn't have a lot going on and there weren't that many people who were supporting my work. I mean, the art world was kind of in the shitter at the time. It was kind of like right after like the, the tip of the eighties. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of interest in young art. There wasn't a lot of, and it wasn't like, you know, yay, you know, um, so I had a lot of, you know, my, my struggle was real. I was kind of stuck in the mud. And um, Jesse just gave me this glimmer of hope. And I took that hope and I just decided, you know, in a way, like, as my star could emerge, I would take him with me. Mm. And today is really an important day. Because we're opening a show sort of at the same time. We had our thesis shows together and at Yale. And it's just an incredible. I mean, Jesse is just the, the, the wizard behind the scenes moving us around on the Ouija board. Um, and I didn't plan this. You asked how this happened. It just mm. Zwerner, like Robert Goff had this idea. And then they called me. I mean, they knew about Jesse because I never stopped talking about him. My friends say call, they have a, an expression called Jesseisms. And one of Jesse's, I mean, everybody knows Jesseisms. My dear friend Yvonne, she would say, what would Jesse say at a time like this? I mean, this oh, wow, this yeah. has been going on for 30 years. Yeah. And I would say there was one Jesseism, which is like, you don't have to lift a finger. You know, that just means they'll get theirs. Um, <laughs> it's just like there's a million of them. You know, there's a million Jesseisms. Um, and I, I, I just would constantly talk about Jesse. And then when I had a, um, a show several years ago at Zwerner, a friend, um, Faye Hirsch, was working in Art in America. And she said, we'd like you to do um, something called Muse uh, in Art in America, where, like, who's your muse? And I said, well, it's not, not hard. It's Jesse Murray. And so she said, okay, would you be willing to write something? I said, well, let me just, so we ended up doing something called As Told To. So Faye wrote it. And the interesting thing is Faye was the first person to review my work when I was, when Jesse died. And she was, you know, it all kind of constantly gets linked back in. Mm -hmm. And so Faye um, helped me get the word out. So there was this piece about Jesse in Art in America. And I think that was about 10, 12 years ago. It was 2011. Yeah. It's 20, yeah. So 2011. It's not that long ago. Is that, is that, t- I don't know. How long ago is that? I don't it's even know anymore. 10 years ago, yeah. yeah I feel like somebody, not, not, I didn't realize that that happened at like the same time that we started becoming friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So when I, just to back because up. I, so that, that, that I laid, that I laid out in the world and then it just, I thought that was going to do something and it went wow, 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 nowhere. Yeah. So, then I, then I just thought, and so obviously you put a seed in the ground, some seeds percolate, and then some seeds take 10 years to grow. Now right. Jared has, has, <laughs> has a chance to get a word in here edgewise. Well, just to like back up what you were saying, like when I first started getting to know you, um, you, one of the first things we ever talked about was you told me about your friend Jesse mm-hmm. and how much, you know, how you were like, you know, you two would have loved each other. And, you know, you had a picture in his poem on the wall in your studio. And so I always, as we were becoming friends and I was becoming more deeply involved with your work and, and in our life, um, Jesse was very present. 
And so, you know, when Lisa was asked to do this show, she, for various reasons, said, well, I want Jared to do it with me. And I said, okay. And you, you handed me this box, this cardboard box full of Jesse's writing that were Xeroxed that you'd had for 30 years. I carried it from studio to studio to studio. His partner, George, made a Xerox of all of his writing and gave it to three people, two of three of his best friends. One is Rebecca Smith and one is myself and the other one is Rick Patrick, who were all people around Jesse when he passed. And I handed it to Jared. I've been carrying it around for 30 years and it was in my basement. And it was kind of like, don't fuck it up. Don't lose it. I said, Jared, here, I said, here, Jared, this is important, but it's, it's, you take this now. I, I've been carrying it, but this, you're meant to have this. So when I started reading it, I have to say, and in a way that I'm like a little ashamed of, when I started reading it, I was just like so humbled and overwhelmed because it was so brilliant. And I like am a snob and I know a lot about writing on art and like the history of it. And so, you know, I have very high standards and I was just like, I looked at you. I remember no, reading. No, you it. called me the next morning. I called you. I said, and he Lisa. said, he said, this guy's a fucking genius. Like, <laughs> I, he goes, do you do you realize? I said, yeah. I told you. you know, I've, you're like I've been saying that. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it was like your friend, and you know, you we don't. Always... I had been under. He thought I'd been like just sentimentalizing. Yeah, it. no. And I and I said, you know, Lisa, we have to publish a, a book of of this guy's collected writing. And I said, well, I don't own it. I was only carrying it around. I said, we have to reach George, who I have not been in touch with. So we got in touch with George, who I have obviously been in touch with a uh, quite a bit in the past months, which has been so, uh, such a treat and a treasure. I don't, a treat is the wrong word. It, it just, I fell in love with George this summer. I, it, 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 the, guy, the guy is just, the love that he has for Jesse. He's been remarried. I mean, he couldn't marry jo- Jesse because they're Timing, fuckers. Yeah. The mm. fuckers wouldn't allow it back then. And, and, and so this legacy has been something he's carried and, We've had so many tearful and wonderful conversations on the phone. Um, he's been an incredible shepherd of Jesse's he, he, work. He represents the estate, right? He has he looks after yes. all of Jesse's, right? Yes, yes, and and he just he just really trusts me. And we were together the night that Jesse died, and we you know I had to help find you know. We, we were, we, you know, the, the, you know, the burial, I mean, everything, you know, we, we went through the whole thing together and I, you know, I was pretty much a child and I remember a lot of things that George sort of didn't remember because I think he was too much in shock. And, mm. you know, we, I, I had I helped him remember things and he was, he was, um, it was it was kind of an amazing kind of exp- coming together. It, it was actually a kind of like one of the highlights, and it was funny because Jesse had asked me when he di- when he was dying, he said, "Would you please take care of George?" And I remember thinking, like, how I can barely take care of myself. I extended myself to help J- Jesse, but I was like, how am I supposed to take care of a grown man? Um, but Jared said something super sweet this summer you reflected something to me, which was like, do you remember what you said about how like time and how, what Jesse had asked me about George and you said that you actually are taking care of George now by like helping kind of further this 
project of taking care of Jesse's work, you know, and helping the get the word out there about Jesse. Because what really broke my heart over the past, mm, you know, 30 years is I would try so hard to get people to pay attention and it would go nowhere. Um, I was angry at times. It would, you know, disappoint me. And, you know, I tried not to be angry at the people that, like I would send that I would talk to people about his work and they'd act interested. And then I would they'd say, Well, send the send the slides. You know, this was back when there were slides. So I send the slides and then they'd get returned to me with like, Dear Ms. Yaskavage, thank you for your interest in our institution. And I was like, oh my God. This isn't my work. Yeah, idiots, you know, and whatever. Yeah. And 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 it was just like the lack of but you know what? It wasn't the right time. The time is now. Right. Why do you think now is the right time? I haven't a clue, but, you know, whatever. He's just, I mean, it's magic. It's just magic. You know, I have some thoughts about why it's the right time. One of which is the institutional powers that be that have been the gatekeepers of history and meaning and authority are like crumbling around us. And, and everyone's like looking for other stories of like what art is and why it's meaningful to us. I would say there's another aspect, which is in Jesse's work. I mean, he was a great intellectual and you can see that in the writing, but what you feel in the painting as well is that he was a profoundly spiritual artist. Mm -hmm. And I think that people right now are so hungry for things that have that kind of depth and meaning and complexity. And, and he, he, you know, can emerge at this moment and speak to that, you know, speak to that in such a, a nuanced way, both in his writing and his painting. So I, I feel like it's, it's his time on a number of reasons, not to mention that he is also gay and he is also black and we are like building out different, different narratives for how to make sense of art of the past hundred years. And, and he, you know, theorized that. Yeah. Wow. Like voices that, that were, you know, sadly Overlooked. missing. Yeah. yeah. Missing from the camp. Really important voices. So let's... Voices that you didn't even know were missing. Yeah. Like you yeah. probably sense there was an absence. Yes. And it's not until you, you reconnect with someone like this, an artist like this, where you're like, oh, this was a feeling I had when I looked at the writing together, which was if he had lived, we would have a completely different space within the discourse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk about his practice then. So we, we touched on uh, the Turner influence. So is, this is atmospheric skies, but he deals with abstraction, but they're never really from life. They come from the imagination. They're an imagined uh, atmosphere. They're an imagined landscape that comes from um, that fusing landscape painting with, a, he says, a place to dwell. So it's like the poetry of life. So these these works are in incredibly atmospheric, incredibly engaging, incredibly dramatic and romantic Let's talk about these paintings and how powerful they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he was really engaged in color space. Um, he wanted to fuse, uh, you know, Rothko and color field painting with, um, he, he wanted to kind of uh, marry a lot of things together that didn't uh, belong together and, you know, kind of didn't... Um, you know, have, and, 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 and also sort of like in a way, like some of these, some of these paintings have, um, I mean, he, he was also a huge constable fan, which, mm -hmm. you know, is, is, um, I think very apparent in the touch, 
and some of these works on paper in particular. Um, I've seen a photo of him with Constable's paintbrushes. Yeah. Where where was that? Late in life, um, when he was quite ill, there was a woman who was his one of his sponsors, um, a woman who took, uh, he, he gave him a gift, which was a, a trip to uh, England. I think Jarrett knows more about it because you did a lot. There was Jarrett a constable big... show at the Tate that he wanted to go see because constables was one of his great loves. I mean, and this is the thing that is so extraordinary about this person. It tells you so much. You're sick, you're dying. And what is the thing you really want to do? go see a constable retrospective at the Tate. You know what I mean? Like that's your priority. And I think one of the things that's been so beautiful about working on this with Lisa is the weight of responsibility for, I loved how you introduced the episode, Robert, by talking about a legacy. Because so often things that we do in the art world, it feels like they have no consequence in the real world, Mm -hmm. right? It's like you do a bad show, you write a crummy essay, no big deal, no one's dead. It's not brain surgery. Mm. But when you're working on, a, on an artist like this, where, where everything has been packed away for 30 years, the only people who know anything are the people who are carrying it in their heart and in their memory, mm. you realize what you're responsible for is the meaning that somebody built out of their life. And it doesn't get more meaningful than that. It does not get more powerful than that. And there were all of these things that we would follow that represented that. And I think the fact that he made that trip it speaks so profoundly to who he was. Right. Well, I, I want to actually take a little cutaway here and say that there could be, uh, in terms of what could have been, you know, Jesse was this high-minded, brilliant, serious guy who, as he would say, highfalutin. He was funny as fuck. So funny. He always had me laughing. He could do voices like, you know, he was, he was, he was a very tall, physically powerful guy. Um, he never wasted really because he was so big. And, um, so he always stayed very beautiful. He never, um, lost his, um, beautiful appearance and, um, you know, he, he, uh, and his sarcoma was internal. They, they, they always attack, it attacked his intestines. And so when they, Towards the end, they took it out internally and cut him open. The doc- He talked the doctors into doing this surgery, which only gave him an extra year. And a lot of the paintings in the show were done at the end of his life after that surgery. He begged the doctors to do the surgery. And imagine being so clever and talking those doctors into that. And it was ju- just who he was. But what I wanted to say is um, that he wanted to get back to the studio. And his studio was two blocks from my studio in East Village. I actually took Jared on a walking tour of the East Village and we actually found his old apartment building and the oh super God. who was there moving a couch in. I said, I think this is the building. I even remember the smell of this building. It smells the same. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but the thing about Jesse is there could be a tome as big as this book, this, this book that I'm holding. I'm at, this is a podcast. So I'm going to actually tell you what I'm holding. <laughs> it's a book called Painting as a Supreme Fiction, Writings by Jesse Mary, 1980 to 1993 published by Silver Cove Press, um, edited by Jared. And um, it's a masterpiece, um, and it's really going to be, uh, I think, gobbled up by the, the, the youngins, because this is like not, 
this is like nothing else. Jesse's writings in total. I mean, it's like all these different essays that he, uh, his teaching. Uh, I mean, Jarrett just put so much um, heart and soul into this. It was four months of day and night uh, work. But what I wanted to address is the other side of Jesse, which was Jesse loved low culture and pop culture on equal measure. He knew film, um, theater, and uh, he loved comedy. He loved he loved pop. He just loved anything and everything. He was a total monster. For he was he didn't leave any stone unturned. So I think that when we focus on Jesse Murray, the the, the brain and mm. the the high the high minded Jesse Murray, it's really only half the man. And so when I so when I put this out there, the show, you know, and the book, what I what what I also grieve is the is this other side of Jesse that I think and, and, and Jared and I've had this conversation. I'd like to move into that conversation because we've actually I actually brought you to have this with me. At the moment Jesse died, he came to my studio. I was just painting these bad baby paintings. Where when I first met Jesse, my work was quite 19th century-ish. Mm -hmm. I was painting uh, without a contemporary sensibility. My work hadn't engaged my low culture that I had mm -hmm. um, emerged from. Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't engage in contemporary life or contemporary culture, contemporary color. It is. It was definitely had elements of the work that I do now. They were female figures. They were um, in very, they, they engaged luminosity, light and color, but not in the way that they, they were not paintings that ever really offended anybody in any way. Um, they were not um, funny. Um, so I was sort of like working kind of out of a very different side of my person, perso personality and persona, I guess, um, what what I ended up um, doing by the time Jesse was, I remember he came to my studio, it was quite fragile, and he loved those paintings, and he really saw them. Um, and he said to me, he walked into my studio, and I was on East 2nd Street, he was on East 4th Street, he got there, and he said to me, you scavenge girl, you have to have your pussy screwed on straight to make these paintings. And man, those are words to live by. Mm. Yeah. But he made you see uh, artists like Bellini in your own practice. So he was able to recognize things that oh, were in your well, own practice saw, that you hadn't seen. But he did not see that you could not do Keen Kids with Bellini. He he saw that you could put those together. G Giorgione's right. Tempest and, and, and the Keen Kids belong in the same painting. What's the Keen yeah. Kids? Well, the Keen kids are real low, low life. Big eyes. Big eye, big, big eye paintings. Kids. Big eye paintings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can Google that right now. Like you had a computer on the side. Google it. It says Keen. Well, anyway, so they're not good, but they're good. <laughs> they're amazing, but they're, it's not high art. It's not hanging yeah. in any, it's not museum quality art. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so what he understood at that moment when he came to my studio, I think was something that he kind of may have himself kind of brought, what I, what I had told Jared was when he was, whoop, the microphone just fell. Um, when he, when Jared, 
was writing about him so beautifully, this introduction that Jarrett uh, wrote about him is so incredible. I said, the thing you don't want to miss about Jesse is that he was, uh, one of his favorite books was Hollywood Babylon. And he gave me that book and said, you better give me that book back. And of course, I still have it. Um, but his like, he loved all that stuff. I mean, like, like, like serious preach, like preacher. Like it was not like less than any of this stuff. It was at the same level. So what I am saying is that I think that like, should Jesse have gone on in his life, like he may have like found, uh, you, you had said something about this, which I kind of was like, he, th- th- we don't know what he would have done to, and, and it's just with any of these artists, it's like, it's not just what they had done that needs to be recognized. It's like the loss of what they may have done. And it's, right. it, it, that's what pains me is what we don't know what, how he may have combined all of these things. When I look, so, so my class at Yale, Jesse Murray was in class at Yale. It was John Curran, Jesse Murray, Richard Phillips, Sean Landers, and just to name a few. My husband, Matt Bay Levenstein came the year after. There were just like a numerous group of people, a big group of people who all were there with Jesse. Everybody had like their own reaction to Jesse. Um, you know, and you know, the, the, this is a group of people, if you were to look at our work the year that Jesse died for the various things, you know, it's like not necessarily a good time to have died necessarily, right? Because you think about what we went on to do, mm. what we went on to make, mm. you know, and, and, it's, and, and, and that's how I like to think about this, this tragedy that is AIDS. And um, we're not necessarily here to talk about AIDS. It's really just about I don't know, because I'm, 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 I'm angry about, you know, my father just died of COVID and I'm angry about COVID because I didn't see my father for 18 to 20 months because I chose to like, keep him safe. It turned out he was dying of cancer when we didn't know it. So the stupid stuff where you like, you know, you just, you know, whatever, it's just like you follow along and you, you get stuck you know, and I could just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm angry about AIDS, I guess, not that anything could be done about it. But um, when I look back at those early paintings of mine, I realized that some of that anger about AIDS is in there. And I didn't know that until I was working on this project, looking back at that. Also, it's quite, huh? it's quite interesting that Lisa, because if you think about this exhibition in particular, if it's the last five years of, of his life, of you know the work he made within that last five years, and in particular the final year before he died, in a way, like we're looking at it as like the end of his career because that was the end of you know his creative output. But in a way, it was actually like the beginning, the kind of seed of something that would exactly. have then grown into something completely, you know, other. But at the same time, it, it's such an, a complex like. Um, profoundly emotional body of work in many ways. And like, mm. the thing I love about his work so much, because I, I honestly would never have heard of Jesse Murray if it hadn't been for you when you first mentioned him and when we did Talk Art before at the beginning of the pandemic. And you spoke did about I your talk friendship about with him then. Did I talk I about so. him then? Yeah, I, I, never shut up. I never shut up about I, him. I'm so pretty sure I, you I did. Just, I think you said yeah. you had the photograph in your studio, which you have every, every studio. You've always had a photograph of him. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I just love this idea of memory, but also the way the paintings can somehow open up a door, you know, for the viewer to kind of go somewhere else and transport you to somewhere else. And for me, he was a really generous artist in that sense, because he sort of gives you this gift of 
of, of these these colour fields that, that somehow give you hope and can transport you somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I just hope that um, on so many levels, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, I think that the, the show and this little video and these things that we've dug up from, um, you know, you were saying earlier, um, your podcast and what this might mean 20 years from now. I guarantee you it's going to mean something because we dug up from the archives of American art, Jesse's voice. Yes. And um, we are featuring that. It was very important to me as a curator, which I am not a curator. Um, please do not send me your slides, people. <laughs> I am not a curator. I would, you know, I, I feel badly, but some people have already thought that maybe I'm a curator. I just am a curator for Jesse. Um, and I don't know, Jared, are you a curator? Oh, yes. please don't put that on me. <laughs> I've got, I, Jared, I have you down here as an artist, an art critic, a lecturer, an author, and a curator. This is your third show with Zwerner. Renaissance uh, man. Uh, you and Renaissance all, they've man. all been amazing. Yeah, yeah The Young and the Evil in 2019. Ray Johnson, uh, What a Dump in 2021. And this is your third one, Jesse Murray Rising. What, what has this been like? But also you do have an affinity because we do have to say that Jesse, as well as being an artist and a writer, was also uh, a curator and a, a critic as well. He, would, he, would, he was an art critic and he curated a show on the Reverend Howard Finster at the New Museum in 1982, which I was like blown away by. He's written about Howard Hodgkin, Hans Hoffman. So you definitely have this affinity because it feels like you're kind of taking up the same space that Jesse did then. Well, that's the funny thing about when I met Jared and Jared was like, a baby Jarrett 10, 11 years ago, he oh. was chasing after me and I was like, get the fuck off of me, you little <laughs> asshole kid. I was, I had been burned by a few young people. Like, oh my God. and so I was like, no, thanks. You know, I could yeah. do without. And so he was like, can I, and I was like, no, can I, no. <laughs> you remember that? Like you were like, would you? And I was like, no. And then he asked me to do something with his class, like a class that he was teaching. And I heard a voice in my head. And of course it was Jesse's voice um, steering me back towards him, which obviously was so that we could be here doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Jesse was like, you know, Lisa, he's special. And I, um, said to Jarrett, well, the class meets when, and it was at the Bruce High Quality um, Foundation mm. and uh, University. And um, I said... Like two blocks from your house. And I, at that time, I lived <laughs> two blocks away. And it was on a weird, on a Sunday afternoon, this class. And I said, well, one day when I find myself able to show up, I'm going to just show and see what you're doing. So I went over one day and he said that I landed like an osprey. That was a funny thing because like... My house has it, like ospreys flying over the top of it. So I was like, I kind of like, oh, I like being an osprey. But I thought he was so impressive that the roles flipped and I started following him around. Mm, like, literally. And literally. what was you thinking, I, Jarrett? Was you like, oh, I don't want like, this. fuck off, old bag. <laughs> I've been burned. I've been burned. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been burned by old ladies. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's, you know, I appreciate that observation because I hadn't fully connected consciously 
that one of the things I'm responding to with Jesse is his ability to to function in those ways as like a really serious writer and critic and poet and as a and someone who organized shows and as an artist. I think maybe, but, your, I think maybe your mic has come out of your uh, ear. Sorry. Is, it, is this any better at all? That's better, yes. Much better. Okay. Um, but I think that in terms of... Uh, you know, this maybe is an interesting thing, which is Lisa and I and Jesse are all people who came into this game from a really profound love of art and a need to invent, in, in, you know, to follow that where it leads in a way that necessitates like kind of inventing your, your place within it. Nobody's asking you to be there. No, no one has created a place for you to slot into. And when you do that and you're following your interests, you find yourself doing projects because people can recognize that you're gifted or that you're interested at a certain level. And they say, well, why don't you do this thing? And, and I think that eventually you end up doing the thing that the culture keeps asking you to do because that's what it needs you to do. Right. And so at the beginning of his career in the 80s, before he went to Yale, I think that Jesse was following that. And that's why he could... I mean, he could have had a brilliant career as a critic or as a curator. And then there's a moment of crisis where he realizes, I want to make art. I want this to be my number one thing. And as an older person, after having taught at, you know, taught university and, and worked as a curator, he goes back to graduate school at Yale, where he's like 15 years older than everyone else, than John Curran or Lisa Yaskavich. Yeah, we were like, we were like, what, like, 21, 21. He was, 30, he he was, was 36, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and it was like, but he wasn't the only older student. There was a couple of them. That was an interesting choice of, they, they, they created a very odd class that year, which actually worked really interestingly because it wasn't just a bunch of babies and it was a really interesting group they put together. This is but 1984 I, to 1986. At, yeah. Yes, 1984, 86, yeah. But I think that that move is so, um, important it's so it also tells you who he was and what he wanted to do and and i think in my case i um people ask me to curate shows and because i've spent basically my entire life um uh disparaging and belittling curators as a role um <laughs> i had a lot of freedom you know what i mean what i'm interested in is art and ideas and ideas about narrative and history mm. and then i realized that uh, making an exhibition is one way of doing that that's different than writing. And, and then people kept asking me to do it. And so now, you know, I think if the culture says you're a curator on a certain level, you have to say like, okay, yes, I am. Yeah. Well, you've also said that artists are the best art critics and the best art curators. Well, I think that artists generally have a higher chance of authentically loving art. I don't think all of them do. I think we can look at a lot of people who are called artists and be like, you know, you don't care about this and you don't know anything about art. But <laughs> enough, yeah. the, the, the probability is that those are the people that actually love art. I would say that as you go into what becomes more like a professional capacity, like a curator, it, like, it, the, it's more of a gamble. Like, do you actually love art? Well, I remember being at like some collector's house and they like on their like vacation house, they were like, well, we don't have art here. We just have like, you know, like we, this is for vacation. So we wouldn't want to surround ourselves with art because like we're, this is our time off. And I was like, I don't understand. Mm. Like, 
like it's weird like like it, it was like artists for i don't know it was kind of like a weird thing like just like there, there's just this weird sense of like that's for like it just seemed like there was this kind of sense of like a divide. it was a business yeah. it was a business yeah, yeah, brain yeah, 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 and i yeah. and i and i started to understand there was like a way in which i didn't get like to um like for me, I always I, I'm a hundred percent art, a hundred percent of the time. Well, that's why and we're I'm willing to. <laughs> I'm will, like I don't take time off from art. No, no, it's funny because I do art for vacation. I was just. Yeah. Uh, I'm also <laughs> separately, in addition, and separately friends with Lisa's uh, husband Matt Bay, who also obviously knew Jesse Murray uh, closely, and who is a really brilliant artist and thinker. And we were doing an interview and then the people stopped recording and then we just kept talking like like the same thing. Like, okay, what about this painting? And the, yeah. the interviewers were like, it's over. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is what we do. This isn't a yeah. show, you know? Yeah. This you is know, like our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, it's a bank holiday in England today. And so many people <laughs> said to me, you're recording on a bank holiday? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we, I don't have a bank holiday in my yeah. life. Like, yeah. So how many, how many works are in this show? Why did you choose the title Rising from one of these works specifically? And how many works are there actually that form part of the estate now? Well, I do not have a number of how many works are in the estate because I am not part of the estate. And so it's not a lot. I will say that. Uh, uh, certainly less than 100. But have so I think actually the way that we got to calling it rising is really important because really early on when Lisa asked me if I would work on this with her, there, you know, when you do any kind of project, an inordinate number of questions come up at every turn. And every one of those questions has like artistic and intellectual implications for like what the thing is. Mm. And um, those are the questions I actually really like. And Lisa instantly and immediately was like, well, we're following Jesse. You know, all the words should be Jesse's words. All the decisions should be decisions that we see within Jesse, you know, that has a precedent in the movie. I said, Jesse, Jesse has always talked to me so let's just let Jesse tell us what to do. Like, so let's look for, I said, let's not put one word in Jesse's mouth. Everything should come from Jesse. So let's just wait for the words to drop from Jesse. So we just, I just looked at all of the material and then I saw the word rising and I realized this is Jesse Murray rising. It's, it's, it's like Lazarus. It's, he's coming back. Jesse's coming back. And I, realize that's the that is the right choice and that is the title of the painting that i knew was the key painting in the show mm -hmm. because it's the painting that jesse told the woman who bought it you you know the quote it's in the book what did she he say i with this i with with this one i've said everything i need to say yeah but i also wow. think jesse titled that because he knew we were going to do this show and he wanted this show titled that but I also think that he believed that paintings, look, paintings live a different life than the person who makes them separately, but then they right. hold so much. And he believed that paintings did that. He believed that they, it wasn't just some colors from the earth smeared on a piece of fabric. You know what I mean? Like, and those last paintings, that painting rising, it's so imbued with that kind of capacity to hold you know, his life, you know, parts of his ideas, his feelings, his history, it's all in this seemingly abstract painting. 
And, you know, it can't go in there. Look, paintings can't do that if you don't believe that they can. You know, the person who made it had to believe that that's what paintings do. And that's what he believed. And so when you look at this painting that's based on his, the color of his skin, that then is light rising up into an immaterial kind of um, iridescent space. And it's called Rising. You, you were like, that's the title of the show. Well, and the painting has a partner painting. It's a diptych called Abyss. And that poem that I used for that little film, there's a little film that I made. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a curator, but I made a film and I curated a show. <laughs> you just did what needed to be I done. I stretched beyond my capacities for Jesse. Mm. And he helped me. I said to Jesse, look, dude, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to help me. I'm, I'm calling on you. And you're going to help me. And you're going to tell me what to do for my next body of work. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you say that. Well, he did, he did tell you to make bigger paintings. And one of the last things he did mm-hmm. before he passed was he prepared a huge canvas, a six-foot square canvas for you with the advice, you should make your paintings big. That's, well, that that's, was his that's a bit of a conflation. He did tell me to – he said you he, – his parting comment after you, you need to put – you need to have your pussy skirt on straight to make these paintings, um, which is like awesome feminist wisdom. Uh, only a gay man could give you. That's kind of that's kind of feminism I need. Is I've got some of those. I've got some of those ones. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You got some of those? I need, I need them. Can you, can you write like a handbook? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for like it's like for, for like the powder room for like when He's you're killing them. He's also telepathically. Yes, like, absolutely. But 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 no. So Jesse, on his way out of um, my studio that day, he said, "And I can't wait to see these on the scale the color field painting was meant to be." And then he, when he died, George, his partner, when we were packing up his studio, which was really one of the most horrible tasks to do, which was to pack his studio. Um, and, and, and realize I, un, you know, we were unpacking those same paintings that you, you know, had packed. We had packed. I mean, it's just like, that's the crazy thing. It's like some mm. of these paintings were like in package for this, this much time. And wow. I didn't even know that George said that. And I was like, kind of shudder ran down my spine. Um, I just had to like sit with that for a second just now too. Um, but he, he, George, there was an empty six foot square oil primed canvas that Jesse was going to work on. 
and George gifted it to me and then helped me carry it those several blocks to my studio and carried it up to my studio. And it was the first large canvas. So in a sense, really George gifted it to me, but it was through Jesse's, um, Jesse didn't get a chance to work on it. Um, and it was very hard for me cause I don't like celebrating on somebody else's loss. Mm. You know, like when somebody dies, you get to buy their house. Woohoo. You know, they say death, divorce, and whatever, you know, you, the, the way things become available. It was very hard to paint that painting. I, I was very, uh, I had a hard time. You know, I, I, there were a couple of things that were, you know, it was, but I knew, like, I knew that he would want me to, but it was, it was hard to enjoy it. I can tell you that much. But the painting is called um, Big Blonde. That one's a big blonde smoking. Big you just read because there's a triptych. So then I went and I bought two more canvases to match. So there's big blonde smoking, which is a kind of a scarlet colored painting, six foot square, which was determined by Jesse. There's big blonde with, and then I did a big blonde with hairdo, which is a green one. And then I did a um, big blonde squatting, which is yellow, kind of a butter yellow. Mm. And um, they were triptych. And, um, yeah, they're like, kind of like really, I ended up showing two of them at Luring Augustine. People don't realize I had a little momentcito at Luring Augustine. I had showed, I think, big blonde squatting and the big blonde smoking there. Wow. So well, it, it, it yeah. was, it was, I think it was, it was really, it was really a, a, a powerful, a powerful thing to, you know, to have him, have him suggest that and then do the work with that and mm. then move on from there and then the show that i'm having now well you've got a show is, with him you're showing at the same time with werner aren't you Which and is i really didn't wonderful. set that up well that's wow. jesse again moving moving around the parts and you know like when when zwerner asked me to curate the show and i said uh you know i am working on my own show but of course i have to do this but i'm going to need Jarrett to, you know, do a lot of the work with me because he's, <laughs> you know, A, he's, you know, somebody who's got all this vigor and he's going to, you know, but I had no idea what the deep dive would be because of Jarrett's assistance. Um, it was the right choice. But um, we, the, the kind of crossings back and forth um, was kind of amazing, but they offered me either July or September. And I realized I couldn't get it together for July so I said September, not realizing that that time, like, oh, my God, it's the same time as my show. Mm. And it, it like it wasn't like I said, oh, I only want to do a show of Jesse's if it's at the same time as my show. Yeah. That was what it was offered. And then um, Jesse and I had our first solo shows of our careers together, which was at the Yale School of Art. So I actually have a postcard, which I can actually show you um, absolutely send it, us which that which is which is you know our thesis show oh. postcard and you know it says we're having a show together and it's 1986 at yale school of art oh. and so it, it it's just an amazing thing and i, I don't know you know and it's it, and it's like you feel like wow where does it go from here you know the the, the, the i do believe jesse's managing all of this magic i really do i think he's, he's manifesting exciting. it He's manifesting exciting. it. Yeah. They, well, the, the paintings 
which he made in the last five years of his life are, are really powerful to me because they were made while knowing about his impending mortality. Uh, when you met him at Yale, Yale, he was already HIV positive. Um, you've said something in this Muse uh, interview, at Muse chat, where Fran Leibovitch said um, that the first people who died of AIDS were the people who got laid a lot. And there's some kind of macabre humour in that, like some hangman's yeah. humour. But it's, it's, he was a beautiful man and he got it early on. Well, but he well, made this was, work while knowing yeah. what, was going, what was happening to him. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's a little mean of Fran, but that's the beauty of Fran. You know, she she always said the she says the thing. Yeah, she go she was goes there. You know, that was the unfortunate thing about being the the desirable, beautiful boys, and they kind of didn't understand, you know, what was going to happen. You know, someone that was very dear to me after Jesse died, who was very kind, said, "Well, what did he think was going to happen?" And I was so shocked. I said, "Well, not that." Jesus Christ, you know, it's mm-hmm. like they didn't understand what was going on in these, these I, I call them the killing fields of, of the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. I watched many, many of Jesse's roommates die first. And it was just, you know, um, devastating. It was, it changed my life. Age changed my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm very... Um, grateful to have witnessed it it's sort of like 9-11 you know you don't want to be one of these people that's like a denier (laughs) you're like uh yeah i'm i'm fully versed in the horror and i feel kind of like um stronger i felt like one thing about going jesse thanked me at during one particularly intense evening he thanked me for what I was doing for him in the hospital. And he said, this is my gift to you. Um, that, that what, what, you know, the, the, my gift to you, um, the summit, something that I had seen, which was the death of one of his roommates I actually saw one of his roommates pass, And it was an extraordinarily beautiful, uh, scene because the man was so beloved and his, his family was surrounding him. And there was, the people playing guitar. It was, it was, it was not like a horrible, it was, it was a horrible thing that the man died, but it was a beautiful death as one could have. Um, that he was not being rejected. And Jesse called me in to, to see this death. And afterwards, Jesse said, you know, I wanted, I, I, I brought you here to, to show you that because I wanted, because I wanted you to see that. And I, it's, it was my gift to you. And, you know, I was very young and what I have unpacked over the years is I've never really been afraid of certain things that, you know, are, I I can sort of face certain things that I I sort of, I'm glad to be able to face, you know, it's like that, I feel like there's this tripod uh, that kind of gets, it's like a kickstand that kind of makes me brace myself for certain things that, you know, I'm not going to be a pushover. Um, and I guess people call you like, you know, hard or hardened, but, um, I just feel like, you know, it, 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 it was a gift and, um, I, I don't want to be somebody who, you know, is going to run from, run from the set, the epicenter of fear. You know, I want to be able to be there for people, you know, like, uh, it's called love. Mm. You know, I, I, this, this show is about love. Mm. Yeah. And you know, I feel like my love for Jesse, when he was dying, he always said to me, like, he, he was always being a bit dramatic. And he would say to me, do you love me? Do you love me? 
do you really love me? And I was just like, after a while, he'd ask me so often, I kind of like didn't, didn't even know anymore. And then after he died, I remember thinking, oh my God, I really did love you. Mm. Like, you know, he bugged me about it so often that I was like, kind of always doubted myself. I was like, God, I'm, Jesus. I'm quite, I'm quite needy like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm always asking every, I get daily always texts like, everyone. Do you love me, Rob? So this this film that you've no. made, this is um, his Jesseisms. You were you were talking about earlier on that everyone has a Jesseism. Now you've got all of the Jesseisms, and you've you've recorded them all with all of his friends and people closest to him reading these out. So what we would well, love that's, to do that's those are called aphorisms. Those right. are Jesseisms. Those are called aphorisms. And he right. he wrote a poem on his deathbed, and I made a little film which you had in a box and didn't know about which i had in a box and i didn't know about um until jared uncovered it and what jared uncovered also is that george his partner was alone in the room with him and jesse for the first time in his life was unable to speak and that really struck me as profoundly sad but um very profound that george read them back to him so a bell went off in my head that I would gather all of the people who had been near him in, in his life that closely, especially at the end of his life, and have them, everybody was all over the world scattered around, but thanks to Zoom, um, we were able to read them and re- read the words together. And it was as if death is lonely, especially an AIDS death is very lonely and isolating, but I wanted to join our voices and read them back to Jesse because that's what George did. He read them back to Jesse and I wanted to, to send him a signal the way like in nine 11, those lights shine up into heaven mm-hmm. for the souls. And I wanted our voices to send Jesse a signal to tell him that he's loved. Well, we're going to play uh, a minute, a clip, a clip of that clip. right now and then we can uh, talk about that afterwards. So here we go. These are aphorisms. Read them each and pause. Don't blur them. They are each of such density, regardless Regardless how compact compact or simple. Read Read them them twice, and and I will touch you if I want to hear it again. Read them thoughtfully, slowly. The multiple outside point of extended inwardness, wherever it is, I am, wherever I am, it is. Merciful darkness equals disaster. Read it again, slowly. Describe unwritten and deconstructed by working a lifetime to become an advanced an advanced consciousness through deconstructed no a multiple consciousness which is no consciousness at all. That was incredibly uh, moving and beautiful, uh, really powerful, and what what an incredible achievement! How, how does that feel hearing all of that back now? And when people come to the exhibition, how are they going to be able to experience that? Well, we. What was important to me is that um, that 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 was actually created so that literally so you could there's a little film um, footage. The only thing, the only film footage that exists of Jesse speaking, you know, unlike today where everybody has video cameras videotaping everybody doing everything, 
eating, you know, walking across the room, there's only one tiny bit of film footage of Jesse, which is speaking about Howard Finster in Yale School of Art in his studio. And I remembered seeing that when he was still alive because he was very proud of it and he showed it to me. And um, Alec Smith, who is the uh, person who also brought me in on this show, um, one of the directors here, said to me this morning after he saw the little film, he said, yeah, it was the first thing you said is we got to get that footage. We got to get that footage. So we did. But how do we show the footage? So I backed up and I created this uh, 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 poem around the footage to kind of build something so that because you can't just show 30 seconds of Jesse speaking. So um, I, I just was really inspired by the story Jarrett uncovered about how that last moments of, 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 of Jesse and George's intimacy must have felt. And it, 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 I just wanted to build something. And I wanted, my, my, part of my curatorial goal, and I made this very clear with the gallery, um, sometimes more um, petulantly than other times, because it was like, you know, I'm, I was like, I've got to get this footage you know, we were told no by a lot of agencies, and then um, then they dealt <laughs> then they dealt with the yes. Yeah, I would yes. want to be between Lisa and whatever she wants. The COVID thing was like an excuse for certain people's um, no's, and I was like, let me get them on the phone for thirty minutes and tell them about Jesse, and then everybody started crying and then said yes. So. Um, we get so we got the so we got everything we wanted. But one of my curatorial goals with the show was it, I said I do not just want people to see his work. I want them to know what was lost. I want them to understand a little bit of who he was, mm. of who was lost, what was lost of the man. I miss my friend. I miss my friend. And I want you to miss my friend, too. I want your heart to be broken, too. Mm. I really do. I want people to come to the show. And so to answer your question, Russell, you will go and there will be a QR code on the wall. Now, granted, you will not come to the show because you're not allowed in America, probably, because of the stupid COVID thing. But on the website for the gallery, there will live the little film. It's six and a half minutes or so. And then also there will be um, archival uh, sound footage of Jesse leading a um, panel discussion that was um, an audio tape that we got from the Archives of American Art um, of him leading a panel discussion on expressionism with some amazing artists. Jarrett knows um, uh, he, he's done a lot of work on this panel discussion. I'm going to let him pick up from there. Um, but there's two different things where you can hear, I mean, it was unbelievable when we finally got this audio, Jesse's sweet voice. Mm. I mean, it, it was heartbreaking. I had a good cry listening to his sweet voice. And then finally getting the video footage and, and watching him move. To watch my friend move after 30 years and watch his hand. I mean, it just it's like every time I watch it, I just just... It breaks my heart. And I really want it to break your heart. I want it to break the heart of everyone who watches it. And that and that little, that, that poem with all of his best friends kind of speaking. I mean, he had many, many more best friends. But he told me who to put together. I basically, I'm sure there were other people I should have put on this. But 
I could only, you know, those budgetary limits. And we had to like put, put, put a few people on it. And, um, the, the thing just came together in a way. It was funny because Jared saw it and he was like, well, that was better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, the brilliant. way that it is incredibly powerful. The way that, like, the very kernel, kernel part of this is I hopped in my car, as is my favorite research method, and drove to rural North Carolina to meet with George Chantani, who has taken care of this stuff. You know, because the thing that I think people forget about archives or an artist's estate is somebody has to take care of it. It is someone's passion project. You are not getting paid for it. Every aspect of, of life and the world and space and economics is basically telling you to junk it. So he's taking care of this stuff. And so I drove down to work with him because most of Jesse's writing was handwritten. It was manuscript. So I transcribed it and then we went through every word in space and comma and, and had to decipher it and approve it. And then I, I had saved the... the um, sheaf of poems for the, for the end because I said, oh, George, we should just go through the poems together. And I found these, these pieces of paper, about 10 of them, with a big, looping, very urgent hand. And George and I sat together in this very small room and read them out loud. And it was like the atmosphere in the room transformed. It became like a sacred space. And I remember like getting in my car and driving, I don't know, 30 miles until I could get phone reception and calling Lisa and like describing what happened and describing these, these poems. And when I sent them to you, that was, it was another thing where you were like, yes, this is, we have to have this in the show. People have to be able to experience this. Mm. And I loved what you said, Russell, about how moved you are by recognizing that, you know, he received basically a terminal and a terrible diagnosis. And then we're seeing all the work that he made. And the reason why I think that's so important is because it shows in the clearest terms what art is about. You know, it's like if you are dying, the decisions that you make are, you know, the things that need to be done. What do you need to do? What do you believe in? And it means it's not about art that's about making money, it's not about art as a commodity. It's not about art as a social object. It's about art as something that is much more profound and human and a way of being. And I think that more than anything, what I really had hoped for and with all of the components that Lisa and I have brought together for this show, the show, the writing, the audio, the video, the paintings themselves, is that people can connect to that truth. You know, a part of painting that's, maybe a fiction, but that is absolutely real. Amazing. Well, this show is, I think this show is going to be incredible for people to um, just find a voice that they didn't know was there, that has been there the whole time. They're like, they're going to rediscover it and people are going to discover it. And I think that's incredibly exciting. The show opens on September 17th at Davis Werner on West 19th Street. Uh, Jesse himself described his work as abstraction, as a kind of landscape or a location within the mind in a material fact, a suitable place for dreams. Um, Jarrett, your book, uh, Art, uh, Painting as a Supreme Fiction, which again comes from Jesse's term of Art as a, as a Supreme Fiction is incredible. Uh, what an achievement. Hilton Owls, who's a big fan, uh, big champion. 
Uh, encourager for uh, Jesse's work has written an incredible forward for the book as well. I love that forward yes. as well. Oh my God. Um, I know, isn't that amazing? Oh. It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Oh. Well, and he's, he's also got a show at Karma it. Gallery at the moment. It, yeah. yeah. He's curating yeah, the show at Karma Gallery. There's a bit of Jesse's Gallery. paintings in that show at Karma. Right. A watercolour at Karma Gallery, a yellow one, which is beautiful. Uh, anyone listening to Jarrett, you should fall in love with him like we have. He has a book out, uh, What It Means hey, what to about Write About me? Art. What about me? Oh, I'm getting oh, to you, Yas. Geez. I'm getting to you. But we have, we have, we have a, oh he's written God. a book called, in 2018, called What, what It Means to Write About Art. The male gaze. You love the male gaze. You love the male gaze. You're surrounded by the gay male gaze. Yes, exactly. But What It Means to Write About Art in 2018, which is... Jarrett did interviews with art critics on art criticism. We've got to say congratulations to your recent wedding, Jarrett. That's amazing. Well, can I also tell you that as I was like driving across the country to get eloped, like every morning I was like sitting with stacks of Jesse Murray manuscripts and like marking them up. And part of me, one part of me thought like, well, this isn't very romantic. And the other part of me thought like, well, this is what our life is going to be like. So <laughs> No, but I, think, but I also think it's really profound because I think Jesse couldn't get married. And I think that working on this project and then being able to get married and just, you know, I think it's just made a lot of sense in a way. It's like a, I think it's an honor and an important honor to, to do what you're, you know, doing this project and taking taking on the, you know, and your husband is amazing. Candy store. Well, I think we the thing, love, love the candy name. store. But the, I think the thing that I, I would like to say about that is a, a big reason why I feel like I even was interested in getting married because I'm both, we're both so anti like establishment normal. Yeah. Everything is that like, there does become a moment where somebody is in a position to make legal decisions about your stuff and your life and what happens to you and your legacy. And like, who should that person be? You know, it's like, well, it should be this person, regardless of what I think of all the other trappings, there's like a legal role there that is about exactly what we're working on with Jesse. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything, I was like, well, that's a no brainer. Candy store should be the person who makes all these decisions and vice versa. Yeah. Right. So right. thank you for saying that. Of course. Yes. Well, so I just want to say one thing as well. For me, I'm so proud that we've done this episode because Jesse's work, but also both of you and the way that you have responded to his work and the way that you're championing it and protecting it and kind of bringing it to new audiences mm. is the reason that we love art. I mean, it reminds me so much of all the core, you know, if you could put into just one sentence the things that art means to me, like a lot of what you've said today, um, you know, it really sums all, all of that up, like the power of art, you know, and the the meaning in art and the way that it can change lives and go on beyond all of our physical existence, you know, and it's just so powerful. And the work is so great as well. You know, Jesse's so painting, good. it's extraordinary painting, yeah. you know, and if I'd only just seen one of them, you would be so touched by them. You know, like if someone goes to Karma and sees the watercolour, he was just a genius artist. Yeah. I mean, extraordinary talent. And it is interesting to me that he was 36. You know, he, he was slightly older than, um, than some of you. So he, he did maybe develop his skills to a certain point, but such a massive loss. I mean, but I'm so happy that after 30 years of being in storage, like the work is now hanging on the walls in New York and that people will get to, to stand in front yeah. of them and actually spend time with them. And something I loved in the statement, your curatorial kind of uh, statement, was that you wanted it to be a space of quiet comp- contemplation. And I loved that idea, you know, 
quiet well, there, contemplation. I, I will say there was a show uh, a couple years ago with COVID. I can't even remember. Was it last 2019. year? 2019. 2019. It was just before at, COVID. At it was 2019, 2020. It's like winter. Keyboard and Gallery, which was a gallery Jesse loved. And apparently I went there with him because we used to walk around the galleries together when it was on 57th Street. And they're working with his uh, estate. And they did a first show, which was really wonderful and got, you know, we need more people to work with Jesse's work. There has to be many shows of Jesse's work. And so all comers get in touch. We want everyone also, fighting. That's great thing, but not to you. You, you see... don't want to curate anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only Jesse. Only Jesse. Contact the gallery. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm, the, I... I'm the lover. I'm the, uh, Jesse, Jesse is, is, is my, is, is I, I give Jesse to the world. I, I'm his champion. And now I sort of feel like I'm not, I'm not like, you know, dropping the ball. I'm just saying that I have this, I have this, um, I had this moment this summer where I felt that, you know, this incredible weight was lifted off of me. Mm. And then I really felt this incredible, um, yeah, like, like literally metaphorically, I'm, I was carrying a box around mm. And it was I, I was carrying Jesse in my heart, and in and 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 there were no for a long time no one was taking me seriously taking it on, and now people are sort of fighting for it in this like kind of a nice thing to have that problem, and now I'm just gonna sort of like I'm gonna consider that a good problem. Yeah. And it's going to be so brilliant to see his work in different contexts, you know, with other artists' work as well, like, and the conversations that will, will come out of that. Like, I would love to see him next to Constable and next to Turner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's like, part I think of the totally dialogue possible. now. You brought and him back into that. he should be seen on that level. Yeah. You know, well, let's like, get the Tate Museum to get, you know, get their little fannies over here. Little, I know. Little exactly. fannies over here. To this. I'm going to tell the people at the Turner Contemporary in Margate, because yeah. we have... We need Tate, yeah, we need Tate, here, Tate so. Fannies. Yeah, exactly. Turner yeah. and Jesse Murray. What an amazing show Loving in Margate. Well, I'm, uh, they can get in touch. One of the things that yeah. I love about paintings and books and shows is that they seem like such small gestures. It's like, you know, like a child, like putting a note in a bottle and like casting it into the sea. And like part of that is there's this huge delayed effect of a potential reception that you don't know anything about. But because you put it into a form in the world, that that audience can find it, you know, in a way that when it was a bunch of, when it was a bunch of Xeroxes in your basement, something happens to you, you know, that disappears. You know what I mean? It's very hard for people to find. So now it's like in the, it's, it's floating around the ether in ways that people who need this. And I do Mm -hmm. feel that there are artists and writers and poets who this is what they need. Jesse Murray. And now it's in a form where people can find it. Jesse and Murray think, exists. Yeah. That's it. Do you know what I mean? It's well, like he well, could have denied rising. his existence prior to this, but now it's yeah, like Jesse you can't Murray deny his existence. Yeah. Jesse Murray is here. Well, before, you know, it's like that diptych. You know, there was the abyss and now he's rising. Yes. And maybe that's the, that's where we, that's where we can just say he is rising and come, come to him. And if you can't make the show, Check it out on the website. Please do. And please check out all of More Life, which is across all the Davis Verners internationally. Again, it's conceived by Robert Goff. Congratulations to you, Robert, if you're listening. Senior yeah, director, amazing, amazing thing. Uh, Russ, before, before, you sound like you're closing it up, but we haven't asked, um, we have to do this two questions we do in every episode. Oh, yes, okay. So in every episode, we ask two questions. Lisa's obviously answered them before, but um, Jarrett never has. So um, 
But the two questions are, if, if you could do an art heist and take home any artwork that you could in, in, in the whole world, it could also be a building or anything you like, what would you take home? Oh, you know, I, I can't think about... The, the first thing that comes to mind is there's a very small Bellini mother and child that's in the Borghese that it's like this big and it's like something that I would want to have like a room in my house with nothing else in it but that and I could just like look at it and like pray you know there's just like look you know in the light so probably like that. a devotional object yeah you know I'm very into devotion it's like a big thing for me so yeah I would just want something that you could really use as a way of looking and thinking and feeling so that little Bellini at the second floor of the Villa Borghese well, when you would you feel good about stealing it? You know, I wouldn't have it for look. I'm not going to be alive that long. I'll make sure that it goes back. Where you eventually. go? Where are you going? Well, I mean, you know, no human is alive that long. You okay. know what I mean? Compared to a painting, it would find its way back home. Okay. <laughs> what's your under, under your floor? Before. What's yours, Lisa? I know we had it before, but we should have a refresher. I, 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 you know, I'm happy. I don't need to steal any art. I'm happy just going around. I. I, Do you I have Jesse's work? Do you have any of Jesse's work in your house? Yeah. Once again, George gave me a work on paper and I just had it reframed and we just looked at it downstairs. It looks smashing. Beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting is like uh, there, there was a Carol Walker painting that I went into a, a the first show that Brent Sycamore did with her in oh god it was right after jesse died and this kind of opens a can of worms that i don't i kind of you want to kind of close the show out but when jesse died you know Kara had just emerged and uh so jesse didn't know about Kara. and one of the conversations i would love to have had with jesse was to stand in front of Kara's work and to you know because she changed the game mm. about contemporary art not just about mm. you know you know what what it means to be an artist of color like but what contemporary art is we all had to deal with Kara's work mm. you know and like you know it, it she sort of took up a lot of room which was a really important thing to be as an artist and he didn't not have to take that in yet you know that was not something he uh, and so it, it's it's there's all these conversations that you want to have with your friend who you, you know, it's like, so like, but like, what would he have thought of that? You no, know, what would have been? So one day I was like literally 20 or $30,000 in debt from buying art materials. For buying and art materials? Yes. Canvases are very expensive, expensive my darling. <laughs> That's the beginning of my career. So those other two canvases. It's even that, more expensive in America, actually. Yeah. Even after really? those two canvases that had to match jet, when he said make them big, it got expensive. So two, so the, so I had a lot of debt and, um, so I was hoping for the best anyway, walking around, looking at art. So I go to Brent Sycamus and it was in his apartment because the art market had crashed. People were like just doing whatever. And there was a small painting show of Kara's and I saw this painting called leap. And, and it was this little fat baby figure that looked like it was been thrown off a building. And it literally looked like it was falling backwards. But then I looked at the title and it said Leap. And I remember thinking, that's Jesse. Because mm. he was always falling, but leaping. He was always yes. hopeful. And I went to the payphone because this is pre-cell phones. I think this was 1994. And 
I went to this payphone on the corner of Lafayette Street because his apartment was on Lafayette Street. And I went to the payphone. I called my husband and I said, Matt Fake, you have to come here. And somehow he had answered the phone and ran over. And I said, we have to buy this painting. So I didn't steal it. But I, <laughs> I, 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 I think you told us this yeah, you in did. the original interview. Yeah, we did. yeah. And, and it's so nice to hear it now, to though, Je- because that's how I talk, now that's we know more about Jesse. That's sort of how yeah. I brought up Jesse. So, yeah. so we bought it. For, for a steal, it was a steal because we bought it for very little. And um, what's very that, little? How much is very little, Lisa? Oh, you want to know, don't you, Russ? Yeah. Uh, I think you told you us. Know. I thought you said it was like seven thousand dollars or something. What? No, a couple hundred bucks, no. a few hundred bucks. Oh, it was. Wow. Oh, look at you perking up. Yeah. You look at him. Mm. He's frozen. Did you freeze? Your image froze. It was just you were actually frozen. <laughs> with shock. Like, uh, just I was in frozen. shock. I was in shock. You got a Kara Walker for three hundred dollars. You still live with it. I don't know, six hundred something like that. But I, yeah, what was beautiful is that, you know, the, the gallery let me pay it off over time. Probably took me a year to pay for it. And, um, you know, all of this stuff. But so what was so beautiful is I bought it because, you know, when I think about his diptych, Abyss and Rising, and I think about, and I didn't know Abyss existed. I only knew Rising. Um, and I think about Leap, and I think of what I saw in Leap. I saw a figure that was falling but I saw the optimism of the title Mm. and I thought, and I saw the struggle between the dark and the light Mm. in that little painting. And I still have it. The painting is in my bedroom and I wake up and look at it every morning and I think of Jesse and it, it it is really um, the kind of a thing where I just, you know, he has really commanded a lot of space in my head for Mm. good reason. And I've, I've been gifted with a lot of, you know, there's been a, you know, look, I, I, I just, but I say like, in a way, it's something I wanted to say about the paintings Abyss and, 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 and Rising is that it, that, 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 that sort of painting of Kara is kind of like was actually something that I think really does relate to that diptych. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that falling hope, into the, the abyss, hope, but leaping, it's rising. Yeah, yeah still, rising yeah. And, and, and falling, falling at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was so much the spirit, especially towards the end of, but even when you read the essay that Jarrett wrote about Jesse's life, you realize that Jesse was always leaping while, you know, life may have been pulling him down, but he was always leaping. And that's what yeah. art was for him and poetry his spirit was always rising. Yes. The other question we ask everyone is, um, what is your favorite color? Oh, wow. You know, it's so funny. This is so loaded. Um, Partly because I'm sitting next to like the color genius. And one of the things Lisa taught me is that like no color stands on its... I remember like I had Lisa come as a guest in my color class at Bruce Lake Body Foundation. And people were like describing something as like a really shitty, ugly color. And Lisa was like, I could take that shitty, ugly color and I could put it in a context that makes the most beautiful color you've ever seen. It is not, there's nothing wrong with that color. There's something wrong with how you're using it. And so to me, what I love about color is that it's relational. You know, it's, it's. I think that's how I answered the question the last time you asked it. Mm -hmm, You're like, mm -hmm. uh, just. Oh, she's That's, trained me well. Okay. I've trained you well. Yeah, but like, actually, I can't say, look, I'm green. Right now, I love green. No, I think that- He does um, love green, though. I do. I had a, you know- I, You're I wearing wore, a bit of green, yeah. Well, I wore only blue for like seven years, like a complete right. monochrome, which was great. And then it was really easy to say, well, blue is my favorite color, even though it wasn't really my favorite, but I was just like, okay, I wear blue. 
But now, you know, I think that color, <sighs> color is one of those things that is almost mystical because it, it resists all kinds of categorization and, st and stabilization. And so even the answer to the question, which is like a, a, a name of a color, mm. it has such an arbitrary and slanted relationship to whatever that color might be as we experience it in our lives. So yeah. I also, my partner is a poet and has been writing poems about color. So I think right now my favorite color is rainbow. Aww. Yes. Oh, love that love answer. My pretty, I don't think we've had my that pretty answer. pony. My, my pretty, my little pony. My little pony. <laughs> I loved my little ponies. I was like a major, like my. We're like really fagging out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was gay from like birth. As soon as I could talk from balls. I gay was from in balls. love with. But, that with but, me. but to, to, if, if you're coming to me, I'm actually going to say I don't have a favorite color. Yeah, you're anti. Which is I wonder if another that's way of saying if, if, if it's different. If it's another way of saying rainbow, but it's like literally, I actually don't have a favorite color. I just, okay. I just have a. It's another way of saying rainbow, but um, Clear. I just. I, I just I take them all. I take them as they come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one more question before like we about, kick off, oh. which is: What is the best advice you've ever had for your art, specifically, Lisa, and for your practice, Jarrett? Oh, maybe, hmm. Jarrett, do you have an answer to that? Best advice I've been given. Yes, and taken. Um, Mm, the best advice I've been given and taken. Well, you can edit this so there's not as long a pause, right? <laughs> no, keep it in. Keep it in. This is reality. We're here. The drama. Love it. Uh, you know, I could go with a kind of – the first thing that comes to mind is when I first started – so I went to art school in San Francisco at the much beleaguered San Francisco Art Institute. And um, I had a teacher there who was a poet and I was a little brat and, you know, still am. But I was like – you know, having all these problems with everything and all these opinions about stuff. And I had this professor who was named Bill Berkson, who was a poet and an art critic, and he was very close to Frank O'Hara. And he said to me, you know, Jerry, you have all these like attitudes and opinions. Why don't you write them down? Hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, well, how do I do that? Like, what do I, what do I write? And he said, write it like you're um, giving advice to a friend that who has no time write write it like you're telling it to a friend who has no time for your nonsense and i think that that is such a good um like measuring stick for like anybody about what they do it's like who is this for like what are you doing it for because i think a lot of people envision an audience that's some abstract thing that's out there sure. might sure. like x y and z about them it's like no Definitely. no no you're making this for somebody that you know and who knows you and that you really are not trying to waste their time. Right. And I think if everybody did that, we would live in like a much better world. There'd be, there'd be a lot less art, <laughs> yes. you know, there'd be a lot less abstract, minimal abstract paintings and um, <laughs> not, you know, there wouldn't be none. There would just be less, less figurative paintings. No, it's like do it for people that you want to talk to. Yeah. I love that. Love so mine is one that I've said a million times, but apparently you can say the same story over and over again. And people clap. Uh, no, and no one has heard the story. But in oh, okay. 1990, I had a show of paintings that sucked and they were figures turned to the wall and they were like abstract paintings of like backs that look like hearts and they were abstract and they showed them at this gallery and 
I won't name the name because I'm tired of saying the name of his gallery. But anyway, so um, I got really depressed. I walked into the opening and because I wasn't allowed to hang the show, step one of depressing an artist, you're, you shouldn't come to the hang of the show. You know, that's bad, right? So I show up for the opening, I'm all dressed up and I see the show and I was like stunned at how bad I thought the show was. And it was my own work. So I wanted to just leave. I, gra- I wanted to grab my husband and get the fuck out of there and go get a hamburger at like a, like a greasy spoon. And like my friend, John Curran showed up and I said, John, Matt Faye, these paintings suck. Let's get the fuck out of here. And they, and actually they were like, kind of like kind of scared. And, and then they both kind of relaxed into it and said like, I kind of see what you mean. And then like, they were like, kind of like, okay, so like, yeah, you're kind of better than this. And then I was like, I know I, this is not at all the work I want to do. So then I took, and then I got really depressed because that's what you do after that. I mean, I did suffer through the evening, but then like the next day I just began the, the total, you know, deep dive of like falling apart. And I decided I wasn't going to paint anymore because I thought, well, if that's the kind of painting you're going to do, don't, don't bother, you know, don't waste art materials. So I sat in my kitchen of this like crappy apartment I had on Ludlow Street and I watched cockroaches running around and I just didn't move. And my husband kept saying, maybe you should exercise because I was getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And he was like, maybe you should exercise. And then I just didn't do anything. And then I decided maybe I would go to film school. I said to myself, you know, maybe like, I, I like the stories that I'm talk, I want to talk about, but I can't seem to do this in painting. And so then my husband and I got a phone call, like the phone rings and then we get invited to a party. And then the phone rings an hour later and the same person says, well, Matt Faye, you can come, but Lisa can't. And you're wondering. Which is so weird. It's like, so weird, does- but it's a blessing. This is the story. This is a true story. So the phone rings a second time, like an hour later. And this person from graduate school says, Matt Faye, you can come. But this was like a few years after graduate school. You know, Matt Faye graduated in 87. So like I was 86, Matt Faye was 87. And so this is like 1990. So Matt Faye says, now you can come, but Lisa can't. Um, we weren't married yet. And he said, they said, um, she's too much. Everybody has agreed Lisa's too much. So we were both like, what the fuck? Like, anyway, I go back to being depressed and Matt Faye then decides to like put his thinking cap on and he says, Lisa, I have a solution for the problem with your work. Why don't you make paintings that get disinvited to the party and you go to the party as like the paintings that like are kind of hanging on the wall with your like kind of like nobody really like feels offended by (laughs) switch roles with your paintings. And it was like so genius. I totally knew what he was talking about. And I was like, that is so genius, but how? So then I just had to like figure out what that would look like. And then coincidentally, I got a kind of another, a a kind of a lucky call um, that I got a little grant to get a studio. So I moved into a little grant studio uh, and began to figure out what would a painting look like of mine that was the opposite of what I was doing, like the, the painting that would get kicked out of the party. 
Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. Lucy Scavage painting, you know, that would definitely not get, you know. So when people get annoyed with me, I'm like, check, you know, that's the party. That's the, that's the, so <laughs> Matt Faye's advice was like the best advice I ever got. Love that. And I love it's from him. But I also love this idea of too much. Too much. That's the title of a book about you one day. Lena Dunham often says that about like people. I've read somewhere Lena Dunham says that like that's something that she gets a lot too. Like too much, you know, and I always think that's like kind of like a good sign. Like if you're too much. So. Good time. All right. Cheers to that. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Everyone we are definitely out. all too much. So. No, we, we all are. Yes, Big absolutely. Time. I can't wait to be in the same room as you. I still want to be in a room with, with the Yus. Yes. We still haven't had that pleasure because the COVID pandemic seems Fucking to COVID. extend and extend. Yeah. Um, but now I also want to be in a room with Jarrett. I mean, you two are just the coolest. Well, yes. we love you guys. Um, and thank and you for sharing your thank wisdom you guys. and your yeah. love. Yeah, so anyway, to summarise again, uh, everyone check out Rising Jesse Murray's solo at uh, David's Burner Gallery alongside... Uh, the Yus, Lisa Scavage has her solo alongside. What's the title of your show, Lisa? New Work. New Work. There we go. New Work and <laughs> Concise, Rising as Verna. Direct. Uh, yes, I love that. What Jarrett's I wanted my show work. to be called was Four Paintings, Fuck It. Right, yeah. Problematic uh, or. A good title <laughs> too. <laughs> but I ended up having more paintings than that, so oh. we couldn't do that. But I really wanted new, it to be called. Work was clear, I wanted yeah. it to be going like, Four Paintings, Fuck It. Blah. <laughs> 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 there we go. Blah. <laughs> Um, yes, but this is part of a whole uh, umbrella of shows, More Life at uh, Davis Werner. I'm curating one in Paris in November on the artist That's Hugh Steers. Um, Who went to Yale with us, uh, by the Hugh way. Hugh did. Yeah. Hugh did, yes, I knew him at Yale. All right, we'll have Another to get you story. back. We'll have to get you back on them. We'll have to talk about <laughs> you. <laughs> Jarrett, you're going to have to write about Hugh Steers now. Yes. The Yus series. Yes, the Yus, the Yus, <laughs> on, Yus on all the uh, More Life yeah. artists. But um, oh, for everybody God. listening, we will be putting images online. Please check out the website links we will be linking to. Uh, to Jarrett, you're on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah. What's your Instagram handle? heteronormative handle yes i love that love that and lisa you're on there at lisa no No? i'm done no she's done she she posted saying she was leaving and then she they they, i had a nipple and they took it down and i said fuck i said fuck zuckerberg and i went off i went offline sorry no, off the grid. You're off the grid, but you're on. You're anyway, on. Anyway, get up. down to see Lisa's yes. exhibition and and uh, Jesse Murray's exhibition. Yes, in New York. and we will see you all very uh, soon. We'll be back very Thanks, soon. Guys. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever. Whatever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com